We're continuing our series called Better Together. We're in week five of Better Together. We've been spending the last five weeks exploring all the ways that God has called us together to be one people, to be one body, to be one church. We heard a few weeks ago that we are actually designed for community, that we are designed that actually the way that we operate as humans is best in community. And there's been a lot of work in the world of psychology and science and research that actually proves that we are actually, our bodies are healthier, our brains are healthier when we are in community. We're designed for it. And that we are healthier in community. And not only are we healthier in community, but Christ actually brings us together and unifies us in himself, in his work, his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. He brings us together as one. He transcends all of our differences, all of our language, all of our ethnicities, all of our culture. He transcends all of those things and brings us together. And last week, Pastor Ben taught us that we are brought together in love and in truth. That those are the things that bind us together is us truth-telling to each other, being honest with each other and open with each other, and loving and serving each other. And today, we're going to continue that conversation by talking about working together, that we are designed to work together as one people. And that's what we're going to jump into here with Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. This is what Paul writes. And I, I know I talked a little bit about Ephesians. I kind of introduced it a few weeks ago when I preached. Um, this is my other PSA. Read Ephesians several times this week. It doesn't take too long to read through it. Read through it several times. You can get through it a number of times throughout this week. It's a great book. We're jumping into ver- chapter 4, verse 7. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. That's Paul's opening phrase. Now, if I took a little bit of a, uh, of a survey here, who in this room understands anything that that sentence says? Probably not many of us, right? We do not talk this way, and so we run into a translation issue right away. Like, what does it mean that each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift? Like, what does that mean? How would we normally say that? Because this isn't how I normally talk, and I don't think it's how you all normally talk. And so we run into this translation issue here, the measure of Christ's gift. And really what this is talking about is that as Jesus did his work, as he was crucified and resurrected and then glorified and he ascended into heaven, he now gives us grace. He gives us the Holy Spirit and he gives us gifts to use. And the measure is actually probably closer to the word portion of Christ's gift. So in the fullness of Christ, as we heard a few weeks ago, we all have, we are, we are all part of Jesus Christ, but we are all different parts of Jesus Christ. We find our fullness in him, we are united in him, but each of us has a different measure or portion of Christ's gift, of his grace for us. And us together, as a congregation, as the body of Christ worldwide, we together experience the fullness of Christ in a way that each one of us as an individual cannot do that. Because we each have our own backgrounds, our own histories, our own personality, and we find our fullness in Jesus Christ, but the fullness of Christ is found in the church, in all of us together. And so each one of us is given a measure or a portion of Christ's grace for us to do our work is what we're going to see here in a little bit. 
So when we talk about togetherness in this series, when we talk about unity, we've been using that word unity a lot, togetherness and unity is not sameness. It does not mean that each of us are the same. It does not mean that each of us do the same things or have the same skills or have the same gifts. We are all given a measure, a portion of Christ's grace for us, and then we all experience the fullness of Christ together. We are one body, as Paul says in other places, and he says that the eye can't say to the foot, I don't need you anymore. The eye needs the foot. The foot needs the eye. We all need each other and require each other for us to experience the fullness, the entirety of God's grace. So each one of us is given grace. And this means, it's really important, that there is not a special class of Christians that are called to serve, that have extra grace. Okay? That's not, that is not the case. Everyone is given a portion. Everyone is given a measure of Christ's grace, and we are all in it together. There is not a special class of Christians, even though I understand right now you are listening to a Christian who is literally three steps taller than you, higher than you. And it's easy for us to think that because we require a chancel like this to be able to see everybody, that there are some of us who are somehow more specially endowed with grace than others. That's not the case. We're going to hear why here in a second. If we jump down to verse 11 of chapter 4, this is what we hear. The gifts that he gave, that is that Jesus gave, were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. Paul is talking about the leaders of the churches here now. These are leadership kinds of gifts. And every leader in the church, whether it's someone who is paid a pastor or a director, or if it's just a volunteer leader, leadership gifts are these gifts. And as with all of Paul's listings of gifts, probably this is not exhaustive, but this is just, a, he, he collected a portion of the gifts, and he's talking about them here in leadership. And so I'm just going to run through these real fast, because I don't think it's super important for what we're doing this morning, and really what God's telling us this morning. But I do want to clarify these things, because we don't normally use these words. So I'm just going to give you some quick definitions. Apostles, literally that means sent one. So the apostle, or the apostolic gift, I should say, are the kinds of people who are good at starting things. If you feel called to love and serve a group of people who hasn't been reached, that's an apostolic kind of gift. So our missionaries that we support overseas, they have this kind of apostolic gift, this apostolic drive. They are trying to reach out to people, to people groups who are not reached out to. Or maybe they're, reached, they're, they're seeking to proclaim the gospel in an area that knows the gospel, but it's all kind of confused. They're sent away from the church to reach out to other communities. Or people who are really good and really passionate about starting new ministries, that's a kind of apostolic gift. That's one type of leadership that God has given the church. The other is prophets, and prophecy is not future-telling or fortune-telling. Prophecy is speaking God's truth in God's time. So there are some people who just know things about that are going on in the world. They just know how God thinks about something, and it's a gift that is given to them. And I have a really funny example of this uh, that Sarah and I experienced, my wife and I experienced. When we were pregnant with our firstborn, Augustine, we were, we were just pregnant, like it was brand new pregnancy. We had actually, we were traveling down to the Kansas City area to visit our family, and we had just told our parents that we were pregnant. And we go to my home church, and we see an old family friend there, his name is Larry, and um, 
And so I, you know, we talk with Larry, I get, you know, we give him a hug and he kind of get, we get caught up on what's going on. And he goes, oh, is it just you two that came down this weekend? Sarah and I were like, yeah, it's just us two. He looks at us and he goes, are you sure it's just the two of you that are down here this weekend? And I said, yes, Larry, I'm sure that it's just the two of us that are down here this weekend. And of course, the next week he told my mom, hey, Eric and Sarah are pregnant, aren't they? And of course we were. So he knew, somehow he knew that that is a kind of prophetic gift. He is, he is just given this thing that he has no reason of knowing. That's a gift that God gives to some leaders. Some are evangelists. This is proclaiming the gospel. Uh, some people are just really good at inviting other people to be part of the kingdom. They're good at talking about Jesus and what he's done for people. And they're good at inviting people into the Christian faith. Those are evangelists. And then there are some pastors, and that's just caretakers. That word is literally shepherd. So people who take care of the church, of the flock, and teachers. There are some people who are good at teaching, who are given the gift of teaching. They can clarify biblical truth in a special way. All right? Those are the leadership gifts. So if you want to just log that into your whatever mental bank or you want to write that down, that's fine. But I wanted to give you those definitions. The important part for our conversation this morning is that all these leaders are given, all these gifts of leadership are given for something specific. And that is this in verses 12 through 13, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. So leaders in the church, whether they are paid or volunteer, they are given gifts and specifically they're given gifts for this end, to equip the saints. And again, this is not a special classification of Christians. When Paul says the saints, he means us, the people who are actually called by Jesus and who are in the faith, who are part of the congregation. We are the saints. And the leaders equip the saints for the work of ministry. So when you are called by Jesus, when you are brought into new life in Jesus, when you are given this new, um, yeah, when you are given this new life and you are brought into the faith, you are put to work. Christians are meant to work. Every single one of us is meant to do ministry. Ministry is not something that only a select few can do and everyone else receives, everyone is called to minister. Everyone is called to do the work of ministry. So it doesn't matter how big or small you think your gifts are, everyone, everyone is called to do ministry. And ministry is serving one another in all sorts of various capacities that that happens. There are all sorts of ways that ministry happens. And there are two primary ways at New Life in our congregation that this happens, and that's through life groups and ministry teams. You've probably heard us talk about them. In life groups, we share life with one another, all the ups and downs, the good and the bad. We care for one another when things are bad. We celebrate when things are good. We study the scriptures together, and we grow up into Jesus Christ together. That's what we do in our life groups. And our ministry teams serve in all sorts of ways. There are all sorts of ministry teams that we have. They're out on the wall out there. And some of them make food for people who are in the hospital. We have Kid Life volunteers, Teen Life volunteers, the tech team, Food for Friends, prayer team, fellowship team, and everything in between. There are all these ways that the leaders of our church, both paid and volunteer, have provided to equip you to do the work of ministry. Now, there are also lots of unofficial ways that ministry happens, isn't there? 
In fact, most of the time, there's, there's more unofficial ministry happening than official ministry happening. All the conversations that you have with other Christians, all the ways that, all the times that you pray with each other and care for each other, all the times that you've made food for people who are sick or need some help, those are all types of ministries, even if they're not done officially with life groups or ministry teams. That is still ministry, that is still the work that we are all called to do together. And the reason that we're called to do this work is three things. One is the unity of the faith. We are brought together into Jesus Christ, into faith in Jesus Christ. The second is knowledge, the knowledge of the Son of God. And the third is to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. That's a pretty big, that's a pretty big goal. Unity, the knowledge of the Son of God, and to maturity, to the measure and the full stature of Christ, that's a big goal. And that's what we're called to do. Because the church, us, the congregation, we're plan A that God has to build his kingdom here. And there is no plan B. God does not have some other secret plan that he's waiting to unleash when this one fails. Because if, the, if he was waiting for the church to fail before he executed some other plan, he would have done that years ago, centuries ago, thousands of years ago. Because we do it imperfectly, but he chooses to do it with us. And he's given us the means, that to, the means to serve each other and the means to serve our community and the means to grow into maturity, to grow up into Christ. We are God's plan A. And our ministry is God's plan A. And this can bring a lot of pressure to us. It can make us feel a lot of pressure. It can seem overwhelming. And also... Serving in a church is kind of difficult because there are all sorts of complexities that go along with serving in a church. First and foremost is that you have to deal with other sinners, right? You have to deal with other people. And I can tell you, some of you are difficult to work with, right? It's hard to work with other people because there's all these nuances and all these, they, we kind of have these like ulterior motives and we're all kind of coming from different areas. We all have our different gifts and personalities and it can feel complex. It can feel hard, and it's messy for us to serve with one another. And also, there's just the whole business of the complexities of a church in general, that there feels, sometimes it feels like there's politics going on in the whole thing, and that some people seem to be really good at some things, and then you don't want to get in their way, or step on their toes, or you want to serve, but not exactly the way that they're serving. There are lots of things that go on in the church that make it hard to want to serve. And then we can, you know, not even to mention all the times and how many people have been burned or hurt by the church. And they do not want to step foot in this area. They do not want to be part of a congregation. Serving with the church is difficult and it's messy and it's hard to do. And so it can feel like we have a lot of pressure and it just makes us want to give up because we don't think that we can be successful. But Paul actually addresses this way back in verse 8, and that's what we're going to look at next. He actually addresses this issue of what it looks like to be successful in ministry. And this is, what he, this is right after uh, he talks about the gifts. Each one of us was given a measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. Now, again, this seems like a, re- this is like a random quote in this passage, and it seems like it doesn't fit. Uh, And so we're going to unlock this a little bit. This is a quote from Psalm 68, verse 18. 
And Psalm 68 is all about God rescuing the Israelites from Egypt. So it's all about God freeing the enslaved Israelites from slavery and bringing them into his covenant family. And so here in this verse, when it says, when he ascended on high, that's a reference to Mount Sinai where God gave the law. He gave the Ten Commandments on the stone tablets. And so it says God ascended on high and he made captivity itself a captive. He freed the Israelites from slavery and he actually, he actually enslaved slavery. He freed the Israelites from slavery and he made it his own. And he gave gifts to his people. That's the law. That's the, the law that he gave at Mount Sinai. Psalm 68 is all about God's victorious triumph over the Egyptians. It's all, this, is a, this is a victory song that the Israelites would have sung in the temple. It's all about God being triumphant in a world where the Israelites felt like they were failures, that they had failed. And Paul here correlates God rescuing the Israelites out of Egypt with Jesus rescuing humanity out of sin. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and his ascension into heaven, where he sits at the right hand of the Father, that is like, on a grand scale, what God did with the Israelites in Egypt. Paul here is claiming and proclaiming that Jesus is triumphant over sin, the flesh, and the devil. That Jesus has won. That he is the victorious one. That he has defeated the enemy, he has defeated death, and now he sits enthroned. He ascended on high. So all the ministry that we do is in the context of God already winning the war. God has already done the deed. He has already won. He has already defeated the enemy. And now we work to help him build this new creation that he's building. It's kind of like this. Uh, when, Jesus, when God defeated the enemy, it's that God won the war, but there are still some battles going on, you know? There are, still, there are still some camps that need to be cleaned out. There's still some fighting that needs to happen, and that's now what ministry is doing today. That God in Jesus is victorious. He has already won. We are guaranteed victory in Jesus, and now we get to work and minister to help God build his new creation because he's called us to do so. So all the success that we think about or are worried about in the church, it's already there. God has already won. He is successful. So then success in our ministries is not having the biggest ministry. It is not being the busiest or doing the most. Success is not getting exactly what we want in our ministries. Success is not serving in exactly the way that we want to do or only serving in those things that we want to serve in. Because ultimately, that's selfish. That's not serving. You're not ministering. You're just being selfish. You're consuming an opportunity instead of serving. Success is not doing what I want to do, but success is actually actively and joyfully participating in the ministry that God has called this church to do. That's what success is. And you know what? If the ministry, if you start a ministry and it goes away after a couple of years, you did it. You served in a way that God called you to do. The size or the longevity of ministry is not ours to decide. It's God's. We have to faithfully serve where God has called us to serve at any given time. That's success. 
because God is already successful. He's already won. So success in our church does not look like modern worship service doing really awesome and traditional worship service not doing great because there's no competing in our church. Success does not look like some ministry teams doing really well and other ministry teams not doing well. That's not success. Success is faithfully and joyfully doing what God has called you to do at any given time. Serving in the way that God has given you to serve. So in our church, God is already triumphant. It is God who is successful and he's already locked in his success in the life, death, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. So God has already won and now we get to participate in it. We get to participate in his victory, in his transformational kingdom by living, serving, worshiping, and praying with one another. And doing this diligently over a lifetime. We get to experience God's new creation in Jesus Christ. We get to create a community of Jesus here in the Sock Valley. That's what God calls us to do. Because God has won. Jesus is resurrected and he sits on the throne. We get to proclaim the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and serve those who need it. So let us do that. Let us walk forward in this transformational ministry that God has called us to do. And let us do it together until we are unified, until we know Jesus, and until we are all brought up into maturity, into the fullness of Jesus Christ.